today I want to preach a message entitled, Standing Alone When Everyone Else Is Sitting Down. Standing Alone When Everyone Else Is Sitting Down. The Bible is full of examples of people like this who stood alone, men and women, uh, stood alone when it seemed like the rest of the world was doing something different. We could talk about and read about David. When David went out to meet Goliath, one of the things that we often somehow, as we envision that whole scene, when you read it in 1 Samuel chapter 17, one of the things that we often forget about is the fact that he went out there absolutely alone. None of his brothers were there with him. They didn't stand behind him and say, David, we got your back. None of Saul's mighty men stood behind him and say, come on, David, you can do it. If things go bad, we're right here with you. He stood alone. Elijah stood up on Mount Carmel facing the 450 prophets of Baal in that showdown. That great showdown lasted all day long. The prophets of Baal trying so hard and so desperately to get fire to rain down from heaven to consume their sacrifice. And yet we know the end of the story, how Elijah prays and fire came down and consumed his sacrifice. He stood alone, though, on that mountain. Not only Elijah, but we think about Daniel and his friends. In Daniel chapter 1, the Bible lets us know that they were faced with a dilemma. The king had presented to them these young men whom he was going to train to be some of the leaders of his nation. Uh, they faced a dilemma as men who had been brought from Israel that the king's meat had been defiled by, uh, by idols, being offered to idols. And Daniel said, no, we can't eat the king's meat. We're not going to do it. He took a stand and stood alone. Not only that, but the three Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3, they were faced with the fiery furnace and an angry king who said, you, you've got to bow before the idol that I have raised up and set up, and if you don't, I'll throw you into the fiery furnace. And we know that passage very well and how it was that they stood alone. When everybody else was bowing, they stood their ground. And even when faced with the fiery furnace, they said, King, we don't even need to answer you in this. We are going to serve God and not you. And then at Daniel again, we remember him, how when he was faced with the, the, the prospect of a, a, a lion's den for praying to his God. Like the king had been tricked into making this law in the land that said that everybody had to pray only to his gods. But Daniel prayed to the one true God three times a day and and we know how he continued on. He stood alone. There are many other examples in Scripture. But there's one I want us to go to in the beginning of the book or the beginning of the Bible that tells us and talks to us about before there was ever any law, any Old Testament law, before the law of Moses was ever handed down and there was that written instruction on how you were to live, there was one man who stood alone in the middle of a generation that did its own thing. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. 
And today we're going to talk about Noah and what it was that Noah did and how it was that he stood alone when everyone else was sitting down. Starting at verse 9, the Bible says this. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make it lower middle and make lower middle and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath and of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you, and for them, Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. The account of Noah gives us great hope to be able to stand alone in the middle of a world that is full of corruption and evil, that is doing its own thing. And brothers and sisters, I believe that we are faced in this time that we're living in, we are faced with such a struggle in our faith. Because we know what the Bible says, we know what the Word says, and yet there are those who will say, listen, how dare you suggest that the way that I'm living is wrong? We have, as a society, we have fallen for the lie of the philosophy that says what's right for you may not necessarily be right for me. And people have bought into that, and in fact, I would dare say that there are many people who attend church who have bought into that lie. It goes hand in hand with the lie that says there is no absolute truth. Well, I beg to differ. There is absolute truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So there is this great dilemma that we're faced with as believers. Do we stand alone or do we kind of go along with the crowd so as to blend in and not get picked on? 
to blend in and not, you know, not have to deal with with some of the, you know, the cold shoulder on the job or at the workplace or deal with some of the ridicule or to be left out of various things. We don't want to take, you know, that person to lunch. They're, they're one of those Christians. And, you know, we, the last thing we need is a conversation about religion. I don't know how many times I've heard in the past, I don't like to discuss religion. <laughs> well, look, I don't like to discuss politics, but, you know, every now and then you get involved in the discussion. I also don't necessarily like to discuss any other football team other than my Pittsburgh Steelers. But you know what? I will. But let's face it. When it all comes down to it, you, if you were to stand your ground in this day and age as a believer, there are going to be those who will look down upon you and somehow think that you are weaker. What did Noah do? question is, how do we stand when the whole world is against God? Well, first of all, we've got to understand this. And, and we're living in a time where we might feel like, look, I'm all alone. You're not all alone. You might be all alone where you are in your workplace. Maybe you're in your apartment building or wherever it is that you live. You might be the only believer in that place. And so in many respects, you do have to stand alone when maybe the rest of the crowd around you is, is doing their own thing and going their own way. But the one thing that we have to remember is this. We're not alone. Because all over the world, there are people just like you and just like me who want to serve God, who want to go with God, who want to give Him our best and serve Him with everything that is within. It's like Elijah. Remember Elijah? He had that pity party for himself. Lord, you know, I'm the only one. Who wants to serve you? Elijah, you know, God comes down to Elijah and says, excuse me, Elijah. Excuse me. Let me give you a little perspective. I know you can't see it, but I can. I've reserved 7,000 in the nation who have not bowed their knee to the idol of Baal. I want you to know you're not alone. And brothers and sisters, we're not alone. And yet many times in our situation, we do have to stand alone. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood there in that big valley. They stood there all alone when the whole whole place was bowing down. So in that respect, we've got to be ready to stand alone. But how do you do it? Well, verse 9 of this passage lets us know what kind of qualities Noah had that allowed him and caused him to be a man who would stand his ground. The Bible says, first of all, that Noah was righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his time, which is an amazing thing. He didn't run with the rest of the crowd and do what they were doing. And he walked with God. He walked with God. And brothers and sisters, the only way that you and I can make it in this day and age is to stay as close to Jesus as we possibly can get. I remember one of the dumbest questions I ever asked as a teenager. This, it went like this. How close can I get to sin and still be all right? Anyone ever heard that question before? How close can I get to sin and still be all right? That is the dumbest question that you could ever ask. Why? Simply because you shouldn't be asking that question. You're asking how how close to the edge of the cliff can I get before I fall off? That's silly. We ought to be asking how close can I get to Jesus? How close can I be to him? How close can I get to him? And I want you to know that when you get close to him, he'll say, come a little closer. There's more I have in store for you. Just get back with me. Come to me and walk with me. 
So Noah walked with God. You see, the first thing that we've got to be able to do to stand is this, is to reject the corruption of the world. Look at verse 11. We've got to reject the corruption of the world. The Bible says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. But the question is, how do we reject the corruption of the world? It's all around us. It's such a devastating news story. Yesterday, the, the, the congresswoman in Arizona just out there in front of a supermarket and, and, and just out there meeting with a few people and a gunman coming up and, and shooting her point blank. She's still alive, remarkably. And a, a judge who the news story went afterwards that he just, he sort of decided because he wanted to, to you know, to support her, at the last minute decided he would go, lost his life. Corruption is all around. Violence is all over the place. We see it throughout our society, all over the place. And brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that as believers, what we've got to do is in our hearts say, that is not something that I can agree with, that I can pull into my life and allow into my heart and into my spirit. We've got to reject the corruption of the world. The world might say, hey, come on, it's all okay. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. But the Bible lets us know that he, he rejected the corruption of the world because he was blameless among the people of his time. Well, how do we do it? First of all, we've got to be concerned about what is in, what verse 11 says, is in the sight of God. What is in the sight of God? The book of Hebrews lets us know that everything is laid bare before him. God does not miss anything. There are many people who think, I do what I do, and you know, nobody knows the difference. And you might be able to put it over on your family, your friends, your neighbors. You might be able to th make them think that you are different than what you really are. But in the end, the Bible lets us know that everything is in the sight of God. That God is the one who sees the full picture. I don't, you don't, and the most perceptive people among us don't see the whole picture. God is the only one who sees it. And you know what? He was concerned about what was done in the sight of God. Brothers and sisters, for you and I to reject the corruption of the world, we have to care more about what God thinks and what God sees than what people around us see. Most of the time, we're more concerned about what somebody else sees about us, what they know about us, or what, you know, what it is that, that they perceive about us. But in the end, brothers and sisters, we have got to come to a place where we say, God, I'm more concerned about you. Like Paul, I want to be a God pleaser rather than a man pleaser. I would rather please God than please man. Why? Because God is the one we've got to answer to, not your neighbor, not your friend, not the person in your building God is the one who you've got to answer to in that day we've got to be concerned about what is in the sight of God not only that we can't follow the crowd if you're going to reject the corruption of the world don't be a crowd follower don't follow whatever the crowd is doing the Bible says in verse 12 listen to what it says it says all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. Look at that for a second again. All the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. We live in a day and age where nobody wants to take responsibility for anything. 
Nobody wants to take responsibility for their actions. It wasn't my fault. You know, there's, you know, there's somebody else on the inside of me telling me that, to do this. You know, I, I, you know, my neighbor just provoked me. I, my friend, you know, they, they, weren't, they, they weren't being a very good friend. And so I lashed out. Whatever. We, we don't want to take responsibility for our actions. The Bible says this. God pointed the finger at mankind and said all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. They did it. They were involved. Noah refused to follow the crowd and corrupt his way. Don't fall for the lie that says, listen, popular thinking says that, you know, if, if the whole crowd is doing it, then it must be right. Must be okay. Look, everybody can't be wrong. Surely they can't be. There's no way that that possibly can happen. We might say it's something like this. If you had 99 people who believed something was right and one person who did not, the way the 99 might try to convince that one is by asking, can all of us be wrong and you be right? Oh, we've heard that before. Can, can the whole world be wrong? You know, I mean, think about it. The conventional thinking today is there is not just one way to get to God. The moniker is, well, we all serve the same God. We all worship the same God. No, we don't. No, we don't. There's no way you can say that the God who is revealed in the Scripture is the same as the God who is revealed in the Quran. You can't say that the God who is revealed in Scripture is the same God who is revealed in the Book of Mormon. There is no way for that to happen, brothers and sisters. And Jesus, I'd rather take Jesus' word over it than somebody else when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. One way. Jesus said that, not me. Jesus said those words. And so we look at society and they say, well, you know, everybody, how is it possible that everybody could be wrong? Well, you could look at, at history and see that it's very easy for a mass population to be entirely wrong. You don't have to very, go very far back in our history to look at that and to see that that was the case. All you have to do is go back to the time shortly before World War II. Yes, I know we're far removed from that, but you know where I'm headed with this. You know that Hitler's Germany said that all the Jews had to become extinct, had to be made extinct. We have to get rid of them all. And Hitler got an entire mass population to believe that that was right. And we know they were wrong. And we also know they couldn't win. We know that that couldn't happen. But brothers and sisters, he deceived a mass, mass population. It is possible for the world to be wrong and for one to be right. And that one is always God who says, I've got a bigger picture than you do. I will be right about this. So don't follow the crowd. The world might wonder why it is that you don't run with them that you don't follow the majority. Listen to what Peter wrote when he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4. He says that the world thinks it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation 
And because they think it's strange and they think it's weird that you don't follow after their sin and their way of life and their way of thinking, here's what they do. He finishes up with this. And they heap abuse on you. They heap abuse on you. Brothers and sisters, I believe that what we need to do is stand our ground. When the rest of the world decides that they want to follow a corrupt way, a sinful way, we've got to stand our ground and say we refuse to bow to the idols of this world. We refuse to bow to whatever the sin is, whatever the going thing is. We will not bow. We will not give in. We will stand our ground with what the Word of God says, and we won't allow our way to be corrupted. You can stand... When everyone else is sitting down, if you will also reserve your ear for what God has to say. Reserve your ear for what God has to say. Look at verse 13 of Genesis 6. Genesis 6 and verse 13. Just five short little words. So God said to Noah. So God said to Noah. You know that God is still speaking today. God is still speaking to your heart. God still has something to say to you. God is still speaking, whether it be through his word or in your heart, in your spirit, as the Holy Spirit comes to you and ministers to you. God still has something to say. God said to Noah, I'm going to bring an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, I, will, I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Two important things to remember about what God has to say. First, God sa- sometimes says things that is hard for people to hear. He sometimes has things to say that are hard for us to hear. That's why so often today the popular preaching is, just make me feel good when I come into church. Just, you know, give me an uplifting message. Don't ever talk to me about sin. Goodness, don't talk about judgment. And please, don't mention hell. I just can't handle that. That's just, you know, that's way, way more than I can handle. You know, in my life, I've got difficulties and struggles. I want to be uplifted every time I come to church. And brothers and sisters, that's all right to be uplifted. I believe that from time to time, God wants to encourage our hearts. I would dare say that this ministry preaches more along the lines of encouraging words than it does, you know, kind of beat them down, you know, the the rough and tough kind of messages, the messages about judgment. I shy away from that. There's no doubt about it. But nonetheless, sometimes what God has to say to us is difficult for us to hear. He sometimes has to say things like, verse 13, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now you say God is going to do that again? No, because he promised at the end of this flood by setting his rainbow in the sky, he promised at that point, I will no longer destroy the earth by a flood. No longer, by a flood. Now, we know that when you get into the New Testament, you find when you study more about end time things and what God will do, God's going to do this whole thing over again one day. But he is going to preserve those who believe in Christ. He will preserve those who believe in him and he will bring them with him. So you don't ever have to fear an end, as it were. An end is not really the end. It just might be the end as you understand or you know, but it's a new beginning. 
It's better than right now. Right now might be good for you. You might love it. It might be great. But, but it will always, when God redoes something, he always redoes it better. Is that even proper English? I don't even know. But let's see. He, he redoes it better. He just does it gooder. <laughs> How about that? He does it well. We don't ever have to be afraid. But you know what, brothers and sisters, in the end, there are times where people have to be told, listen, yes, the Bible says that you are a sinner, just like I was. But I want you to know that you can be saved by the grace of God, that you can have a new hope, that you can have a new life. Somebody once said, how can we truly understand the love of God until we understand the judgment of God, until we understand what it is that we have done against God? You can't understand the mercy of God until you know what it is that he's delivering you from. If he is delivering you out of sin, if he's delivering you from having to deal with the punishment of sin, we have to understand the punishment before we can understand how great his love was to deliver us from it. That's why we have to talk about hell. That's why from time to time we have to talk about the judgment of God. But the judgment of God was coming upon that day and that age, and it was a message. We know that, not out of Genesis, but we know that, that he was a preacher. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. You can imagine that he's there with his hammer and his sons as they're working on this big ark. Nobody had ever seen an ark before. And yes, I think it was a box, Nancy. But at any rate, she asked me that Tuesday night. You think it was more box-shaped, rectangular? I said, I think it was. Seems like it was. You know, we have this picture of the, the boat, you know, but... It, uh, it took 120 years to make. I don't know. Maybe they had time to wet the wood and bend it and let it dry. I have no idea. But all I know is it took a long time. And the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So he's out there hammering away and he's preaching. Because you know people went out to watch him. You know they went out. What in the world is this crazy man doing? We're out here in the middle of the desert. We haven't seen rain like this. We haven't seen any kind of rain. We haven't seen any kind of water that would warrant something of that size. Let's go see. I don't know if they had Noah tours. You know, go see this crazy man in the desert kind of tour. You know, you, you pay five bucks and go see him, but he's out there. He's probably got a crowd because Peter says he was a preacher of righteousness. And he's preaching. And he's telling people about something that is to come. And they can rescue themselves. They can, they can get in the ark of safety. And yet nobody believed him. Nobody. Nobody believed him. God sometimes has things that's difficult to say. God often says things that go against unconventional thinking. Verse 14, and this is it. So make yourself an ark. I already mentioned this. No one had ever seen that before. No one had ever seen such a monstrosity of this. It looked like a big building going up. Not Probably not something that was going to float, but God told him how to, to, to coat the inside with pitch to make it watertight and waterproof and, and get all the provisions in there because that boat had to float. And it went against unconventional thinking. Nobody had ever seen anything like that before. How in the world could it possibly happen? But that's what God has to say from time to time. Conventional thinking is this. Man is okay. We're okay. 
We're just fine. Don't, you know, don't make us think that somehow we are, we are less than, than just this grand, grand thing that, you know, sort of evolved over millions of years. Don't make us think that we are less than that. Don't make us think that man is, is somehow bad and evil and, and all of that. Don't make us think that. And yet, God had something to say that was different. The conventional wisdom is, I'm okay as a human being. You know, I'm God's child no matter what. Listen, the Bible lets us know that to them who believed in him, he gave the right to be known as the children of God. It's your belief that causes you to be a child of God, not because you're human. You were created in His image, absolutely. But it is your faith that puts you into that category. God has some unconventional things to say from time to time. And it cause, it has to, we have to have an ear that is constantly listening and an ear that says, Lord, I believe your word and I'm going to listen to it. So what does it take to reserve your ear for God? So that you can stand your ground when everybody else is doing something different. First, it takes faith. Look at verse 22 of chapter 6. It takes faith. The Bible says this, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You have to believe what he says, both good and bad, the judgment and the grace All of it was accepted by faith. Noah trusted in the promise of God. The promise of God was, Noah, you build this ark according to my specifications. You make it the way that I tell you to. And I want you to know that you will be saved. When the floodwaters come, Noah, you are going to be saved. First of all, he had to believe that there was going to be such a thing as floodwaters. He hadn't had it before. Could, probably couldn't even imagine it. But also, he had to believe that the thing that God was telling him to make was going to be made, shall I say, seaworthy. It was going to be made well enough so that it would, in fact, float. And not only would it float, but it's going to hold everything that God said is going to go in the ark. Everything that was going to go in there, he had to believe it. It was by faith. He approached this whole thing by faith. Brothers and sisters, the only way that you and I can stand our ground in this day and age is to believe what God has to say rather than what the world has to say. Listen to what Hebrews 11 verse 7 says. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Did you see that? Warned about things not yet seen. It's very difficult sometimes to imagine that what God is saying is actually going to come true when you don't see anything else like it around you. But we have to believe that what God is saying is true. The Bible says, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by Faith. Notice those words, by his faith he did what? He condemned the world. In other words, 
he stood up and said, I'm going to believe what God has to say rather than what the world has to say. I'm going to follow the Lord with all my heart rather than follow the way of the world. And brothers and sisters, the world will do its best to push its ideas on you and ideals on you, and it will push its efforts and its, you know, all of its thinking on you, its philosophies, all the way it wants you to live and the way it wants you to think. But in the end, it is by faith that we are able to reject the world and say, Lord, I'm going after you with all my heart. By faith. The only way to do it, brothers and sisters, is by faith. You started by faith, you have to end by faith. Everything, Paul says, is by faith from first to last. There is no other way for us to live than by faith. And that's how Noah had to live. As soon as God showed up and said, here's what I want you to do, then he had to act in faith because he had never seen anything like this before. So we have to believe what God has to say. Not only that, but the Bible lets us know that he was obedient. He was obedient. Verse 22 again of chapter 6 of Genesis The Bible says, what did he do? Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah obeyed, though he may not have understood everything. Obedience means that you'll set aside your desires and your will in order to do what God has commanded. In order to do what God wants. I don't know. You know, Noah thought that he knew the day and age that he lived in was corrupt. He separated himself to God. He was holy to the Lord. He, he wanted to please God. He walked with God. He was a man who was blameless in his time. And that says a great deal about him. But I don't know if when you know, God showed up with these instructions, if there was a struggle of obedience. Because I know for many of us in our humanity, we struggle with obeying the Word of God because sometimes it seems like, you know, it's just narrow. But Jesus said these words. He says, that, he says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life and few there are that find it. If you want to follow God with all your heart, you want to please Him and be obedient to Him, you've got to know you're going to be walking on a narrow path. And the world's going to call you narrow too. No way of getting around it. But in the end, he was obedient to what God wanted him to do. Brothers and sisters, when we look at the word of God, there should never be a time where God begins to speak to us through his word and and point his finger at our hearts and point at something on the inside and the Holy Spirit begins to speak and say, that's not right, that shouldn't be there. should never be a time where we say, no, Lord, that's not for me. No, 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 that's for somebody else. No, he wants us to be obedient to his word. When he begins to show us things, to show us things in our lives that just, you know, maybe need to change. So often we push it away. Eh, you know, I don't want to look crazy. I don't want to look too religious. You know what? In the end, it's not about being religious. In the end, it's about pleasing God. It's about saying, Lord, I want to obey you. Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, you will obey me. We've got to obey God rather than men because God in the end is one who's going to have the final say. He was obedient to the Lord. Finally, there was his commitment. His commitment. It seems like it took approximately 120 years to make the ark. 120 years. 
I don't know if after year 75, he looked at the ark and said, man, I'm never going to be done. Well, fortunately for him and for many at that time, they lived a very long time. That didn't last for very long, but he was one of those ones who lived a really long time. But nonetheless, the Bible lets us know that it took around approximately 120 years. He had to stay committed (coughs) to what God had told him to accomplish. Brothers and sisters, if God has spoken to your heart to accomplish something in and through his help and through his strength, you stay committed to the task regardless of what others do. There might, you might, maybe Noah had, had the idea that, you know, I begin to do this and I begin to tell people about it. There are going to be other people who are going to come along with me. And nobody came along. And somewhere along the way, I don't know if discouragement, you know, begin to settle in and maybe we ought to change things. Maybe things ought to be done differently. And maybe this ought to happen. Maybe that ought to happen. I don't know if there were those struggles. But you know what? The Bible lets us know he was committed to the task till the end. And brothers and sisters, we have to be committed to the Lord in this day and age. Without Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. We've got to stay the course. We've got to stay with him. And we've got to run the race with perseverance that is set before us so that in the end, we will come out on the winning side. You stay committed when the world comes at you and says, come on, just go run with us. Just go do what we're doing. Come on, come and have some fun. Be with me. You know, just just do your own thing but brothers and sisters in the end I want you to know that there is a salvation for the committed there is something that is in store for those who will stick with the Lord and say God I'm going to serve you with everything that is within me he stayed committed and on the day those flood waters began to come Noah and his family was safe inside the ark brothers and sisters You and I are called in this day and age to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord so that we will be everything that God wants us to be and be a light to this dark world. You say, but what if people don't listen? It doesn't matter. If people don't listen, that's up to the Holy Spirit. We can't begin to try to do the Holy Spirit's work. If people don't listen, they don't listen. But what we've got to do is we have got to to say, Lord, we're going to follow you. We're going to be committed to serving you and being a light to a lost and a dying world. And I want you to know, I don't believe it will be like the time of Noah, but you will find somebody who will hear, who will listen, who will say, yes, I need Jesus. I need him to come into my heart, into my life. There will be salvation. There will be somebody who will will give their all to the Lord because you stayed committed. You stuck to your guns and you stuck to what it was that you knew was right. You stood up when the rest of the world was sitting down and somebody took notice and said, you know what, they're different. You remember the story of the three Hebrew boys when Nebuchadnezzar had thrown them into the fiery furnace and they're there and Nebuchadnezzar's just, you know, they're all thinking in their minds, that's it for them. Man, we got rid of those guys. These boys are toast. They're done. We, we don't have to deal with them anymore. And all of a sudden, he looks, wait a minute, I see movement. I shouldn't even be seeing movement. But not only do I see movement, I, didn't we throw three guys? In? Yes, we threw three guys in there. But why, why, why is there four people in there? Who else went in there? What happened? Why are there four men walking around? And when he calls them out, guess how many come out? Three. 
which lets me know the fourth man is still there in the fire to help you and to strengthen you in a world that says, come on, just bow to the idols of the world. Just give in to the flesh. Give in to your own, your own way and what it is that you want. Just give in to it. But I want you to know that when you get into that fiery furnace, there's going to be somebody who is walking with you, who will help you, who will help you to stay committed to him no matter what takes place in your life. He will be there to help you. Noah stayed committed to the Lord, and the Lord saw him through the other side of that flood, and he came out on the other side victorious. Can we stand to our feet? Let's give God praise right now. Come on, just praise the name of the Lord.